Welcome to this week's Henchman of Comics. I'm Alex Eschback. And I'm Matt Golden. This week we're talking about The Gifted. Yes, we were talking about the premiere episode of The Gifted today. Alex, tell me what you thought about The Gifted. Well, give you a little background on the show. It airs on Fox. I think it's kind of interesting. ABC is owned by Disney, so it only has Marvel shows. Netflix has Marvel shows only right now. But Fox has Gotham which is based off DC Batman mythology. They also have Lucifer, which is a Vertigo comic. Vertigo is owned by DC, and now they have The Gifted, which is interesting because even though, as it's well known by a lot of people, Fox has the rights to the X-Men film franchise and their characters watch. That's why we never see that crossover of any of the X-Men characters into the Marvel Universe cinematically. But this is another co-production between Marvel and Fox. Yes, yes it is. Uh, like Legion on FX, too. Yeah, Legion. Great fucking show. And the synopsis of this show is that two teenagers, two mutant teenagers are coming of age. They get their mutant powers. And their father works for a group that is responsible for basically hunting down and prosecuting rogue mutants. And that's the main family dynamic in this series. And then we also have the rebel mutant group who they eventually encounter and help them try and survive their pursuers, which is a spinoff of Sentinels, which we see famously throughout the X-Men series, too. Yes, the Sentinels are here, and they seem terrifying as hell. I love the Sentinels in this. I think that this mutant's story is absolutely fucking fantastic, and Alex just laid out a real broad, general overview of this episode one. The family ends up having to go on the lamb because these kids expose their powers, and it turns out these mutants are powerful as shit. The The son and the daughter are both wildly powerful, and they basically tear down this school using their abilities pretty much on accident. The son discovers he's a mutant while getting bullied in the showers. Do you have much experience with these characters in the comic? Uh, this show does use characters from the X-Men universe, but it's none of the major players it's not Wolverine or Gambit or Storm or anything like that. My overview and familiarity with this, these particular characters, is pretty much zero. Okay. As far as the actual, the main mutants in this series. Yeah, we should go over a little bit of that, too. The main mutants, the, ma- the two teenage kids are the Strucker family. In the comics, they're the Vaughn Struckers. I know them best from, I think it was Brian Vaughn's run on Ultimate X-Men, where they hired Gambit to kidnap Rogue. They're villains in that, but we don't see them as villains in this. They're definitely the protagonists not of the story. Not. Yeah. Not, Which, kid, that son is a little whiny for me, so I can see him <laughs> becoming a villain. Blink is another X-Men that has been around for a while. She debuted in the Exile series, I believe, which is kind of a... Universe Hopping X-Men series, which was well received and ran for a long time. We have Thunderbird, who was in, who was killed off famously during Chris Claremont and Jim Lee's X-Men run. We have Polaris, and she is Magneto's daughter, shares the same similar powers of magnetism. And then we have Eclipse, who I don't know, but his power set seemed, he was made up for the show, 
His power set seemed kind of similar with Sunspot Robert DaCosta's abilities, but I can't say whether or not he was designed originally for that or because they're making a new mutant movie and Sunspot's in that that they didn't want to borrow from both. I think the latter is most definitely the case here. So, do you have any familiarity with any of the cast for this show? I do have some familiarity with the mommy in this show. She was an angel. Yes, she was. Mrs. Strucker was an angel. She actually does a, a really good job acting in this, and like she did an angel. Absolutely fantastic, although her character was the least interesting <laughs> character in this whole dynamic to me. Yeah, Amy Acker wasn't given a lot to do as no, the matriarch really of the family, but what she did and what she was given, she did extremely well. Just like she always does when she's on screen. She was fantastic in Angel. She was fantastic in Person of Interest. I even enjoyed her one-episode appearance in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which wasn't a major role in either. But she always is someone that you pay attention to for whatever scene she's in. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to rank two groups of people here. I would like you to rank for me your favorite to least favorite Struckers, the four Strucker family members, and your favorite to least favorite of those four main mutants that lead the mutant resistance? For me, it's for the Strucker family, and even for the bottom ranking, it, I don't think they're bad at all. I think everyone did a fantastic job. I think out of the Strucker family, and even the person that ranks at fourth in that list, still did a fantastic job. But my favorite was actually Lauren Strucker, the daughter of the family. I think she, she did great in her performance. She was wonderfully empathetic and sympathetic towards her brother. Uh, her, the actress's performance was believable, but not whiny. It felt very teenage, but someone, someone they actually cared about. I thought after that, probably Amy Acker did the best. Like we said, she didn't have a lot to work with, but in her role as Kate, she was really good. And then I would have to go with the patriarch of the family. Mr. Reed Strucker. Yeah, Reed Strucker, played by Stephen Moyer. Who some of you might be familiar with from True Blood. I kept expecting him to say, Sucker! Sucker! Oh, yeah, he was Bill. Yeah, Fuck. that's Vampire Bill. Goddamn. Yeah. Once again, also not using his normal English accent, trying to pull off a different American accent, less regional this time around. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought, he does it nicely. I thought he did a really good job as a father who was, who was in a terrible position, but made no hesitation to help his family out because family is more important than his career or even whatever prejudicial beliefs are held in that world. And then I thought the son... Andy. Andy did, yeah, did probably my least favorite other performances, but I thought that he still did really well in the scenes he was in, especially the scene where he was being tortured and his mutant powers activating for the first time. It seemed like straight out of Carrie which I don't know why these school bullies never watch Carrie before they bully a kid. Right? Especially uh, when mutants are actually a thing. Like, you never I know. know who's a yeah. mutant. <laughs> like, Especially when they're at that age where mutant powers activate under stress, too. Yep. Exactly. Uh, uh, he act, his name in real life is uh, Percy White, and he kind of was uh, a little whiny like you thought somebody named Percy. Yeah, it's kind of hard because, I mean, you're playing a character who's meek and scared. He nailed that role. Yeah. He did. Uh, out of the... Mutant characters. My favorite was Polaris. Uh, Emma Dumont played Polaris. I thought she did a fantastic job. She was captured rather early, but she played the role of someone who thought she was kind of above the rest because her she has the same she shares the same powers as her father, Magneto. And when you can control metal in this world, at least, 
you can go pretty far and do a lot of damage. Absolutely. And then I liked uh, Jamie Chung as Blink. I thought she did a really good job. And then from there, Thunderbird and then Eclipse. And Thunderbird probably above Eclipse because I have a relationship with the character previously. Okay. What about you? Did anyone, did anything different on your list? Anyone jump a lot higher, sink a lot lower? Your rankings of the Strucker family mirrored mine exactly. The daughter, fantastic. She did great. Kid, a little whiny. I'm sure he'll grow on me at some point. Uh, again, everybody acting, fantastic, blah, blah, blah. Who gives a shit? Let's move on to the mutants like people actually care about. Number one players like you. Uh, she tries to kill Reed at one point when she's locked in prison and finds out that, spoiler alert, she prayed in as hell. She will have herself a baby. Magneto's grandchild. Fucking cool. After that, I actually liked Eclipse a lot. He was a little whiny, but he was just trying to get back his, his baby mama. And then I actually would put Thunderbird next, and then Blink. I thought Blink was kind of move, was kind of there to assist the, uh, the viewer with moving the story along. A necessary part, not really that interesting right now. And we should say that Polaris, Eclipse, and Thunderbird all have full control of their powers. Yes. Uh, the Strikers obviously don't because they're new mutants. And Blink seems to have some control, but isn't at still needs more training or time to fully master her abilities. Yeah, she's struggling with her abilities, and she actually ends up getting, once again, spoiler alert, the lead Strucker captured at the end of the first episode. But what, are your favorite, what were some of your favorite moments from this pilot episode? Uh, one that I just mentioned was uh, Polaris attempting to murder Reed Strucker right there at the end. Uh, absolutely fucking incredible. Uh, really, really neat. The graphics, the CGI was cool. When the school was coming down, after a son finds out he's a mutant, or he doesn't find out he's a mutant, but after he's being bullied in the showers, a sister comes along and throws up her sweet bubble shields and basically saves the day. I thought that scene was... It looked incredible. It looked like a superhero show should look. And I think this one's already moving way up my list of, of favorite superhero shows. And I I didn't expect that from a, an X-Men show other than, you know, Legion. I mean, especially one that airs on network television. No, I, was, I wasn't ready for that. Not at all. But they, they poured a lot of money, especially into this first episode, and Mutants' abilities, and everything just looks incredible. And it seems like they, they really thought it out, unlike Marvel with their, their latest launch. Yeah, and like Matt said, it does look very cinematic. It looks and feels like a movie, which is incredible for a pilot, for a 40-minute episode of network television. Yeah. For a pilot, too. If you extend this out, you could almost have a half-decent movie on your hands if you make it about two hours. Yeah, it was the pilot was directed by Brian Sanger, who directed... We've worked in numerous X-Men films, but X-Men, X-Men 2, and some of the newer ones, too. So it's someone that has a background, not only in film, but handling mutant characters, too. Yeah, he's, he definitely knows what he's doing here. Uh, my, one of my favorite moments is Eclipse gets a phone call, and his ringtone is a theme song to the 90s X-Men cartoon, which I'm not going to sing to you because I don't have the rights for it. I don't know how lawsuits work because I'm a <laughs> lawyer. I'm not going to risk it. But look it up. It's fantastic. I also love, one thing I loved about this show is that they mentioned the X-Men and the Brotherhood several times. Yeah. Uh, they don't know what's happened to them. None of the characters do. X-Men disappeared. Yeah. Which was a totally cool plot point. But it's so nice to have acknowledgement. This is a shared universe. And not just one throwaway line, but to bring it up 
multiple times throughout the pilot episode. So that's also a background story going on the entire time, too. Yeah. Now, I don't think we're ever going to see Hugh Jackman or Halle Berry or, or even or any of those characters in this show, but some acknowledgement that the fact that this is a shared universe, they operate in the same space, and it's nice, too, because it gives a background to the world. Mutants already exist. People know about them. There have been preventative measures to stop mutants from roaming freely, and we're not bogged down with information or background about all this stuff that we as viewers most likely already know because we've seen superhero movies and TV shows at this point. I like that it uh, it carries a, an overarching theme from the X-Men movies of, oh, hey, there's definitely a, a mutant resistance going on, and it kind of shows you what that mutant resistance is. It kind of puts some faces to some past plot points. And this could easily be a companion to just about any of the X-Men movies, Yeah, honestly. It, it's weird because the X-Men movies have been criticized at times because their timeline's not clean. Because when you travel through time, it messes things up. But in this case, for the gifted, it actually pays off. Because when you mess with time, I mean, this could easily be set in the same world as Logan because in the world as Logan, the X-Men are all dead, too. I mean, and regular Joes might not know that they're all dead, but that's one possible theory. I mean, it could be set in another, another, another universe, too, because knowing the X-Men, they're, going to travel, they're traveling through time right now and screwing up the timeline for everybody else. So not just a different time. Okay, so a whole different universe dimension reality altogether. Yeah, we don't really know, but it's, that's just me spitballing theories out there. So you're telling me that we could have Tyrion Lannister coming up very shortly, and he would not be out of place here. Oddly enough, to bring up Bryce issue for a second time in this podcast, I don't think that's lightly. Although, I do know that George R. R. Martin was a big fan of comics growing up and actually wrote and appeared in the pages at the end of letters to the editor. So maybe he might push to have his own characters blend in that universe. I don't think Marvel would be okay with that. I don't think HBO would be okay with that. But no, I'll tell you right now, that's not going to happen. Quit making me say insane outlandish theories. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance, though. You're saying that there's a possibility. Yeah, what I'm saying is episode two is going to open uh, <laughs> with Drogo from Game of Thrones flying over Polaris with Joe Blue the rest of the development just saying I've made a huge <laughs> mistake. And for some reason he's wearing a horse head just tying to Bojack Horseman somehow. That's entirely fucking ridiculous. That would never happen. They would wait until at least episode seven or eight for that time. Yeah, you really want to wait until <laughs> you, you get the art going. Yeah, then you gotta fuck shit up in the middle of it. Just like the normal X-Men do. What about, was there anything that you didn't like from this pilot episode? It was about as near flawless as you can get from a pilot uh, superhero show. I mean, it, it hit all the plot points. It set up at least the next little arc, the next three or four episodes. I think it's it's pretty clean. And for a 40-minute show, I never found myself looking at the clock like, man, when's this fucking thing going to end? Yeah, I really don't have any problems with the pilot episode either. I really enjoyed it. I mean, everything just seemed like it was so well-planned, so well-casted. The special effects were great. Even stuff we've seen, like we mentioned earlier, like the scene of Andy Strucker being bullied. We've seen that scene countless times through other films and other mediums. But it still played out so well, even though we've seen it before. Yeah, we have seen that exact thing before. That, to a T, fucking exactly the same. They knocked it out of the park. I don't think I have a whole lot more to say about this unless you do. What's your ranking of this show? On a scale of 10, I, for a pilot episode, I'll give it a 9. It was an incredibly strong pilot. Yeah, I would go ahead and say uh, seven and a half, eight. I know that I'm being 
you know, wishy-washy on here and splitting hairs. Hold on. I also want to say that, like Matt said, he found no problems with it. It's about a seven and a half. So one day maybe <laughs> we'll get a ten out of Matt for something. You will yeah. never get a ten out of me. Or even a nine, but we don't know what that will be. It has to be better than perfect. Yeah, it's yeah. got to be beyond <laughs> flawless. I need flawless network television with full penetration. And then you, my friend, have got yourself a nine and a half. So again, Matt is dealing with separate realities. <laughs> That's all I'm shooting yeah. for, okay? I do think that this was a great place. I think, too, that I'd recommend this show just about anyone that has a slight interest in superheroes or comic books. You don't need to be super well-versed, you know, actually, or well-versed at all in the X-Men universe. It tells, it's still, it's tells its own self-contained story. You'll just miss out on some of the Easter eggs. Yeah, I would honestly recommend this show to literally anybody. So I'll, I'll give it an eight. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> I, I've talked myself into it. We'll I know that everybody out there is keeping track of my rankings here, so it's yeah. an eight. Yeah. All seven of you. I cannot wait for that email where someone breaks down your rankings and so, <laughs> so we can see the absurdity of which they jump across different things. Goddamn right. That'll be a great mini-sode one day. But I think that's about it for this episode. As always, you can email us at henchmanofcomics at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook. Also, us on Facebook. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. Anywhere that we can be absurd jackasses. For the Henchman of Comics, I'm Alex Eschback. I'm Stephen Matt Golden. Henchman ain't easy.